and action. Hello out there to all our 34 Circe podcast. And cut. <laughs> Hello out there to all our 34 Circe Salon podcast listeners. I'm Don Sam Alden. And I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb. Thank you so much for following this podcast and for your support for programs that explore the untold stories of female agency and adventure throughout history. This program is more than just something that we love doing, and we really deeply love it. It's also a mission for us. And we'd love for it to be a mission for you as well. So we've created an account on Patreon, a fundraising website, in order to help us fund the podcast and some other really great, really fun projects that we have planned. So if you're able, please go over to patreon.com slash 34 Circe and pledge your support. You can do a one-time donation or a monthly subscription. And any amount, even a dollar, helps fulfill the mission to help make matriarchy great again. So thank you for taking the time to listen to us in this exciting little commercial spot that we've given you. So <laughs> now on to the show. Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. And welcome to the 34 Circe Salon Make Matriarchy Great Again. We have a good one for you. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and I am here with, as always, Don Sam Alden. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining us yet again on our podcast. And we are very excited today to be uh, talking about a book, um, a book called The Power by Naomi Alderman. And, you are um, Electric Dawn for today, correct? I am Electric Dawn, indeed. Uh, I wish I was. We'll find out why. Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell, really wish. This, this <laughs> is, Dawn and I have talked about this. This book is, for me, I think, very haunting. It's a very powerful book. It's a very good book, and it's, it's just an incredible vision. So uh, it'll be really interesting to get into, but do you want to... Uh, start off with how you Set discovered this up. it. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know if it will will uh, come to pass, but we're hoping to also um, do a, a recording where we talk to Vicki Noble about this book because she also was interested in talking about it. So um, here you get to hear just the two of us, but uh, hopefully you'll also get a third point of view as well. That would be um, really amazing. It so. would be incredible. Yeah, she's a busy lady, but hopefully, hopefully, we can grab some of her time. But um, so I found this book um, because I have, I you know, I'm here in in Hollywood adjacent, and um, and ha- spend a lot of time going to um, script development groups, and um, you know, coming from the theater where uh, my theater company, Babes with Blades, was was primarily um, found our sources of our scripts through script development programs. We had to, we had to facilitate the creation of a lot of new scripts to get more fighting roles for women. So I've done a lot of work in, in, um, in that sort of script development. 
And dystopians, everybody's so fond of the dystopian future, right? We're, we're going through a period where the, it seems like that's all we see. And, um, and in every single one of these dystopian futures, no matter where, no matter how, whether they're on Earth, whether they're in space, whatever, it always seemed like that they had to include um, some sort of ridiculous oppression of women, right? Like if it's a signal of a dystopian future, if the women are abused, um, uh, both physically and mentally, whether they have no rights, whether they have, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I just got so sick of seeing this and wondering if anyone had thought to create a dystopian future in which the men are the ones who are oppressed. You know, that would be something new for a change. Um, so I went looking and my group, <laughs> I don't know if I'd quite put cheers behind that, but, um, you know, my Google foo isn't the best, but I, I went looking, um, uh, all over the internet, looking for some sort of story where it, um, you know, where it indicated that it was this dystopian future with men on the bottom and women on top. And I kept finding these lists of like stories of like, you know, it'll say dystopian futures where women are on top or where women are in charge or whatever. And the list would be all these books about an abusive situation, you know, where like women are horribly and systematically, systemically abused. And at the, like the last chapter of the book, they find a way to throw off their shackles. It, 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 you know, it seems to me. Yeah. Which was not what I was looking for at all. Well, well, the thing that that strikes me, and I, this the struck me this time when you've talked about it because we've talked about it before, but it reminds me of something that when we've discussed this, I've brought this up, which is one of the things about the patriarchy we live in. Like people, there are people who just hate that phrase. They say there's no patriarchy. We don't live in one. Okay, just throw that aside. One of the things about it is we look at the world and we can break it down into different spheres and East and West, North and South. And there are different ways in which patriarchy expresses itself. But in the West in particular, it is about the marketing, the, the, the branding of the user-friendly, you've got it good here, patriarchy. And so Mm -hmm. what strikes me about this dystopian idea is it, is it's created in such a way to say, you know what, ladies, if you didn't have these guardians like you have here now, this is what the future would look like. You'd be in shackles. You'd be down. So yeah, I think yeah. there's an element of that that's there of like, hey, you know, this is look at the great world you live in and now. So don't complain so much because if things really get bad, that's what it's going to be like. Exactly. So it's it's it just, all Handmaid's yeah. Tale stuff. You know, it's all yeah. Handmaid's Tale style of dystopian futures. And it, but it's again, it's like I just think it's this kind of branding, and it just drives me nuts because I see it, and so, it's so much more pronounced now. And supposedly, this age of woke, it's almost a reaction or a co-opting of what's supposed to be a new progressive outlook. It's like, okay, we'll be progressive, we'll invite everybody in, but just remember, we're doing this for you. So, um, yeah. it's it's interesting. So yeah, the power and it's, and it's also found that so. Way. It's also you know just in terms of of a storytelling perspective, it's also so overdone you know there's nothing original about it oh gee let's show it's it's dystopia because the women are oppressed wow there's a new idea she says sarcastically um yeah so i was looking for something that was completely different and this was the 
only book I found um, that is not high fantasy. So for like, for instance, I'm reading something right now, a book called Sister Light, Sister Dark, uh, where it's, you know, there is a matriarchal civilization, but it's, it's high fantasy. You know, it's a completely different world. Um, this was the only one I found that takes place on our planet, you know. So um, this is this being The Power. By the Naomi Power Alderman. by Naomi Alderman. Um, so the, the premise of this book is that, and, and P.S., spoilers will abound in this discussion. So if you haven't read the book yet and you want to remain spoiler-free, stop the recording right now, read the book, and come back when you're done because we're going to spoil it right and left. Um, so the premise of this book is that women... <laughs> That's right. That's how we roll, people. Um, the premise of this book is that women develop, um, you know, based on and and they give sort of a vague like uh, history to it based on some experiments that happened in World War II, but um, but they develop an additional organ called a skein, and this skein allows women to generate electricity, similar to the way that electric eels do it as a as a you know protective slash defensive slash aggressive mechanism, um, so they can generate electricity uh, just with their bodies, and that this radically changes the balance of power between uh, the genders. And uh, the book starts ten years before sort of it becomes a worldwide phenomenon and, and talks about like the first instances of uh, the beginnings of this power. Um, and it focuses primarily on four major characters, three of which are women. Um, Allie, who becomes Mother Eve. Um, Tunde, who is a, a photojournalist, I guess you would call him. Um, Roxy, who is the uh, child of a, a an English sort of gangster figure, and then Margot is the is uh, a politician. She's a she is uh, you know just sort of like a, a you know a regular politician trying to make it in a man's world um, type of figure. And so we we follow primarily these four people and their stories as they make their way um, through the the uh, years um, that go up to the time that this power really starts to manifest and then um, through the immediate fallout of that. Does that sound right? That is exactly it. I, I, I wanted you to set this up, obviously, because this the story, once you set the story up, the things that play out, and we'll, we'll talk about each of the, the different aspects that happen over the as the story is told over 10 years out, eight years, you know, we get closer and closer to a certain time frame. But I, and I said this to, to Dawn off air, that the this story is so haunting that to process the information that goes through, to process how to respond to it, has been really fascinating in a sense for me. So that's the setup, and it's uh, we can jump into it a lot of different ways, however you want to go to it, whether to talk about each of the characters or talk about the different aspects that happen because once this power evolves in women, once this starts, you see, first you see this uh, literally social media eruption 
yeah. of these images of girls throughout the world, and it starts with girls, um, using this power and having this power everywhere in the world and what happens when these teenage girls have it. And then it begins to unfold as how it affects us socially, religiously, politically, even sexually. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Um, so you had asked me, um, you had asked me off air um, how I felt reading the book. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, um, I, I was thinking about that in, in the days leading up to recording this because it, it was an amazing feeling for me to read this book. The, the, the reason um, I asked too, just so everyone knows, is because in the book creates such a world, you become immersed in the world that it feels as if you've stepped into a different universe. Yeah. So. Yeah, although it is our world. And that is, I think, why it was, um, as, a, as a woman consuming media um, throughout my life and consuming media created by, you know, primarily male-dominated Hollywood who is, you know, even as the quote-unquote sexual revolution happens and even as, um, you know, women have made all these supposed strides forward towards equality. And even in the past couple of years with um, Me Too and Time's Up, um, Hollywood is, is concerned with telling the stories of the great man. And, um, you know, when I took my sort of um, intro to filmmaking courses over at a local uh, community college, which was fantastic, by the way, um, the the program there was just incredible, um, but I I declined taking the the history of cinema course um, in in the offerings, um, even though it was strongly recommended by the department because I knew it would be the history of cinema made by uh, white men and glorifying primarily white men. And, uh, I, you know, I've seen enough of that. I don't need to see more of it. I don't need to see that once again held up as the be-all and end-all of filmmaking. Um, and uh, so I've just been, just been drowning my whole life in, in stories everywhere I turn of, you know, the great white man and, and uh, his issues and his troubles and his triumphs and all that sort of thing. And um, reading this book was just the most delightful, delicious, fantasy-provoking and rewarding experience that, especially for the first half of the book, before you know you really start to see the dark side of things start to come out, just the first half of the book was like every every strike back I had ever wanted to make against all of those stories that told me that I was worthless, that I was unimportant, that my story didn't matter, that my feelings didn't matter, that I don't matter. Could we talk about the two halves then? I want to hear more about the feeling because it is interesting because when you say that about the stories that are the same stories we keep hearing, and I've told you, I've complained about, and, and, and probably I've, I've said it on enough of the podcast where I, f- I find there is a faux progressiveness in Hollywood and that the stories are still the same. The heroes are still the same heroes. It's just, 
you've diversified the sidekicks and the girlfriends, and that's yeah. not changing the hero. Right. Um, yeah. So this book was very interesting in that for me too, to read and just see a completely different kind of universe. So what was it about the first half and how would you describe the plot? Well, it was just, part? you know, it the was... Second half. Yeah, I mean, even how she opens the book, she opens the book uh, with, you know, Roxy. Well, the framing mechanism, um, the bookends, the framing bookends um, to the book, we'll get to in a second. But the actual mm -hmm. meat of the book that's supposed to have been written by um, a man who is part of the Men Writers Association, um, which is just freaking brilliant. Um, yeah, there there are just some brilliant reversals that she does. Yes. She being yes. uh, Naomi Alderman in the book, it's just incredible, and some of them even haunting. But sorry, go yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she opens the actual novel part of the book with you know a, a woman in distress situation. She's uh, Roxy is is a young girl probably you know right one of those a tween you know right around 13 and and um she has been locked in a cupboard by some thugs who have come to murder her mother and uh she is the um she's the uh, illegitimate child of a a mobster a, a gangster and um and these uh, mobsters have come to take uh we think um, we find out much later, of course, that that's not the case, but, um, but to take revenge, to, to get at her dad by murdering her mother. And, um, and she gets herself out of the cupboard and she has the first experience of the skein of the electricity of generating the electricity, um, you know, right from the the moment the book opens, we see this start to happen. So she's put in a situation of, you know, traditional abuse, uh, traditional tactics where you strike at a dude you can't get at by uh, brutalizing the women around him, um, you know, which has become and has always been one of the, you know, the ways that uh, that war is waged by uh, striking at the male warriors, by raping and killing their their wives and mothers and daughters and all that sort of thing. So can you women, say Yamnaya? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's using women as tools in the fight against much more powerful men. And so it's, you know, a classic example of uh of the oppression of and abuse of women. And in this classic example of women as victims, she introduces this idea of the power and um because uh you know Roxy is so young and it's you know it's before the powers ride spread it's just at the the infancy of this of this gift developing she's only able to use it once but in that moment she has a weapon that is greater than the situation so it is a foreshadowing of how women are going to be able to throw off this oppression by something that is, you know, no one can knock this gun out of her hand. It's something that is a part of her body and um, how women are going to be able to protect themselves and fight back. So right from that very moment, she's taking that traditional women as victims scenario and she's twisting it. 
and showing what would happen if women were physically, if women had this physical weapon that would prevent that type of oppression from ever happening to them again. And it is a, you know, it's a Norma Jean stopping the the production lines moment where, you know, you just see the potential for the world completely changing. It's it's a great conceit too. It's a I think a brilliant conceit because it takes power and it uses it finds a way to give this added power to women that is that has that sense of scientific believability to it. It also works something that is different than just giving them sort of physical strength. You're giving right. this other kind of strength. So right. yeah. that's interesting and a different choice. And it plays itself out in different ways in terms of how the men respond to it. Yeah. Um, and then we flip over to um, a male uh, lead character or Allie comes first. I forget the exact order of the chapters, but um, but uh, Tunde is one of the other uh, characters that we follow. And he is at this point, you know, a young man just entering adolescence. And, um, and he's, he's using all of the little tricks that teenage boys use to try to get into a teenage girl's pants, which is he's, I guess they call it, I don't know if they still use this word, but negging is, I think, what I've heard it called, where he's basically um, like trying to make, put the, put the girl on the back foot so that he can, um, you know, find a way to sort of take advantage of her being flustered um, to get in there. And, uh, and, and he's playing this game and he thinks he's winning. Um, And he would have been winning, except at one point she takes his hand and he feels this weird feeling that he's never felt before. And it's some sort of like tickling paralysis that goes through his body. And it's odd and it's, it's both slightly exciting and yet at the same time terrifying. And, and she never tells him what's going on. She doesn't say anything. It's just sort of like, you know, it's sort of like in movies, this would be the tell where the guy would sort of, you know, casually hold back the, uh, hold back the edge of his coat to show that he's, carrying a gun a concealed weapon it's it has that kind of feel to it where she just sort of casually lights this electricity up and it produces a you know it produces a debilitating physical reaction in him and then she just sort of runs off and laughs and jumps into the pool and they continue to have their day and nothing was ever said straight out but the message was very clearly given that she is not his victim and she is not falling for his bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's an interesting courtship too, because it's, it's, she's not falling for it. She is maintaining her power. There is still a flirtation going on, but it's, it changes the dynamic of who's in charge or who leads the dance. You know, right. who's, who's the lead in the dance. Right. He, and, he is and, an interesting character. Yeah. 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 And, and how this is going to go from here on. Right. Like, you know, he thinks he's going to be, 
he's going to be pulling the strings and and she's just telling him that that is not going to happen. And again, you know, that is another she's she's Naomi Alderman the the writer is taking this sort of classic moment in our social and cultural like the social and cultural touch point that is surrounds us in our media and she's taking that and she's twisting it just slightly and showing us what would happen if the world were different and again from my point of view i you know i think of all of the times when i was a, a teen before i knew myself before i knew my boundaries and felt comfortable re, you know enforcing them when i let guys take advantage of me just because i didn't know how to stop them and how to stop them with grace and you know with uh without getting myself into more trouble um and and to have this power would have been like it would have it would have been a game changer it would have changed everything and so again you know just reading that chapter i was like oh my god this is amazing so well, you know again it, it, it changes everything in that yeah. case not just a, but at that one moment is a game changer for the normal paradigm that we have where you can say hey you know what no here's my boundaries but as the book unfolds and as this power unfolds in the book and we, as we see boys and girls men and women interact in a romantic or sexual setting it's now it's not just about women setting her boundaries, but women defining the boundaries. Yes. That's what is a really telling shift. It's yeah. you're Tunde is an interesting character in that sense because we now see the the male version of what is always the female paradigm. We talk about this where movies will have to have if they have four characters, three will be men, one will be a woman. Right. We've in a sense flops just completely flipped that around. And the one male in this character is kind of the you know the the diaphanous, you know, you know, attractive cipher, yeah, cipher yeah. who has to figure his way through this woman's world. Yes, yeah, yeah, and he, um, you know, it's it's, yeah, he's a fascinating character because he quickly sort of, he quickly falls into using the kind of tactics that you see women use in the world today, which is. A sort of, I'm not saying yes, but I'm not saying no. He you know, uses, uh, using his, his looks and using yeah, his using wiles. his looks and his 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 masculine wiles um, to sort of make his way through situations that he can't you he can't make demands in, right? It's, like I, he can't. I think it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He can't make demands, so he has to sort of court the women in power or the women who have what he wants. Um, it, but he makes a, it, yeah, he very quickly it, makes a name for himself because, you know, he sees the potential of this, of this revolution unfolding and he plunges himself right into the front lines of this movement. Um, He's so like he's, the His Girl Friday, but it's a His Guy Friday kind yes. of thing. Where he's the reporter. I think it's also significant, too, that he is an African character. And I think that in the context of the way we tell stories in the West, we exoticize, as always, the female. And so he becomes kind of like a literal flip because that 
flip in our contemporary culture would be too frightening or threatening. It imbues power. It would imbue Tunde with a power that would be frightening to a patriarchy here. But when we flip it and now it's a matriarchy, he now becomes something exoticized. So it's, a, it's another yeah. layer of flipping the whole way that we look at things. He's, yeah. he, and he has to make his way also because of that when he's in countries where Africans wouldn't be common. Right, right. You mentioned when we were talking earlier, you mentioned of that uh, that scene where Margot, the politician, um, you know, he's at a function with her and she offers him a ride home. And it's, you know, very clearly an offer for a ride of a different kind. And, uh, and he has to, you know, and she's here's this white American politician who has the power. And he has to kind of find a way to say no without hurting her feelings. Yeah, it's, he's, he's caught in so many different webs. But again, as, as Naomi Alderman creates this woman's world, it is, she creates it so well that, like you say, that's why I was really interested in how you responded to it. Because just knowing you as I do and the stuff we talk about, it, it reverses a universe in such a very real way. Yeah. That you can take that ride, and now you're experiencing it. I, I think in reading the book, one experiences this world as really being part of it. Like you don't get to just kind of indulge some aspect of it because you every aspect of life is being shifted. Yeah. And so if you're if you're investing in it, then you're shifting everything with it, and so it really becomes stunning to see just the way it all does very, very subtly change over the years over the intervals. So what is that? When do you see the shift where you were saying from that kind of what you, or maybe say a little bit more about what you see as the, the, the rise up, you know, where the power becomes this exhilaration to yeah. where this power becomes an abuse. Where do you see that? Happen? Yeah. Well, it's the, the giddiness and the, and the, and the delight that I had in this book. Um, even when it starts to turn dark, because of course it will, um, it's still there because it's telling, you know, a tale as old as time uh, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's telling that same tale that we've seen, that theme that we've seen explored, you know, so many different ways. Uh, but it's telling it in a way that is so fresh. And so interesting and, and for me anyway, appealing um, that even when it, when it turned dark and even when you see the people, you know, who have been oppressed and have now risen to power and are wielding their power in a similar way that their oppressors did, even when you see that because the framing device is so different, it's like, it's like you're you're reading this story for the first time. I remember um, we were doing all female Shakespeare in Chicago and I was playing Orsino in um, Twelfth Night. And, uh, and a, uh, an audience member came up to me afterwards. This was her first experience in seeing uh, an all female Shakespeare pr production. And, and she said it was like I was hearing the lines for the first time because they were spoken by a voice so different than any she'd ever heard speak the lines before. So 
in some ways, this book was like that. It was like well, you've said also that playing that those parts because we we both do Shakespeare and we both are fascinated by the roles in the language. But what I hadn't thought about until you had said to me is that there were that of course for me male characters there's a whole universe of different characters I could play and different kinds of roles and different kinds of power and typically it's about the power that they have even when they're well, the power they're trying to get or the power they're not trying to lose but but for the female characters not so much not often there's very few and so you I believe said that it was also an experience of being able to play something play a type that you don't normally don't get to do yeah, role. absolutely. I mean, the the reason I I I have the mission statement that I do for my production company, Vicarious Films, is because, um, you know, the the byline is or the the subtitle is where women move the action, um, and that it, that came directly from my experience in playing the male roles in Shakespeare. Because usually, um, you know, in Shakespeare's world, men influence the plot. Women influence the men. Like men, women don't don't get a chance to actually influence the course of events unless they're disguised as men when they do it. So that was just Shakespeare's world. So having an opportunity to play a male role in Shakespeare was like it was like a revelation because it was like, oh, oh, this is what it feels like to be in charge, right? This is what it feels like to be the ones for whom the world was built. And it's that, just that's a, a that's a great phrase because the, maybe that's the sense I'm getting when I read the power the ones for whom the world is built and that's very much what the world of the power feels like because you really do you're, you're flipping it but you're not flipping it for comedic effect which is often what we do right in modern right world, yeah you flip the generals like oh look at that now she's the you know brings home the bacon whatever um, this is like a very real a very nuanced change and a change in a believable way. I mean, just to throw one thing in here to give an example of that is Margot, who is the political candidate, the, the female politician, the kind of politician that we would probably say in today's world, the phrase that we always hear, there's something about her I just don't like. And usually <laughs> that just means... She uh, we has, know exactly. Oh, yeah, we yeah, know exactly. Know. She has ovaries. That's what you don't like. That's what you don't so, like about her. Yeah. That's what you don't <laughs> like about her. But now she gets a taste of the power and she uses it on air in a debate. You know, yeah. she couldn't quite control herself. And instead of it being something where everyone's aghast at this mannish woman trying to take power because, of course, she's so too ambitious because, you know, women aren't supposed to be that way. Only male right. politicians are allowed that. But instead, people see her as powerful because the shift is occurring. Right. She's willing yeah. to use her strength. So it's a very fascinating change. And the way Naomi Alderman conveys that in the story, you see this male politician who's used to the world we live in right. watch his world change before his eyes. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's off on some on some tirade about how, you know, uh, traditional values and blah, 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 blah. And she is just so sick of it. You know, she's been living in this world of men and trying to make her way. And um, and she just can't seem to stop herself from reaching over and giving him a little personal demonstration of women's power, mm -hmm. you know, giving him a, just a little little tiny jolt. And, you know, his, the audience seeing it sees his face responding to this. 
and his realization that there are consequences that he did not expect. Um, because of course, one of the, one of the things that gets put in place as soon as the power becomes a widespread phenomenon is testing for women in, in positions of power to make sure they don't have it. So just so the listener knows, so what happens is this power begins to be seen in the world. It pops up on social media. It's everywhere. It's all over the news. And of course, the first thought is, these girls have this power. How do we do something about it? How do we control yeah, how, it? How do we, how do we fix them? From how do we control power? it? Yeah. How do we stop it from happening? Yes. How do we fix them? Exactly. How do we, how do we cure this? And um, one of the things that pops up is the supposed testing, you know, where um, where you can test if a woman's skein has been activated, and um, the way that that can happen in older women because younger the the girls we reach a point in time where girls as they enter puberty, this power wakes up it 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 manifests as part of puberty, so women who had reached puberty before this point don't have this power. But one thing that sort of the women become aware of almost in an underground way, right? Like this is never announced anywhere. It's just passed from woman to woman to woman in a, in a sort of whispering, um, uh, whispering connection um, is that young young girls, the, the teens who are entering puberty, who have this power developed naturally, that they can awaken it in older women. So it's a really interesting beat. A really. Interesting yeah. Beat. Yeah. And, 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 you know, is, is such a, like a profound um, reflection on the way that activism happens in our world, you know, so often it's the young people that are saying, you know, we're not growing up in the world the way it is. This is not the world we want to inherit. We're going to change it. Um, and that, you know, that older people who are more set in their ways need to get on board or get out of the way. Um, so Margot's daughter, Jocelyn, has a has this power develop naturally. Um, quote, unquote, naturally. And... Uh, and so one day they're sitting down and talking about it, but Jocelyn's power is, is um, she's slightly handicapped in some ways. Her mm -hmm. power uh, doesn't develop very strong. It's, she has difficulty controlling it. Um, she can't draw on it the way that a, a lot of uh, young women that develop it can. Um, so she's going through some you know, emotional issues at the time that the world is, you know, completely changing, she's not able to jump on the revolutionary bandwagon because her skein is is not uh, responding in the way that other girls' skeins do. So her mother sits down with her and and says, you know, to to like talk about this and to try to help her daughter, and and she says, so show me. So almost inadvertently the way that the way that the writer writes it is is she doesn't really give anything away so you don't really know if margot is using her daughter to awaken her own power or whether she was just trying to understand 
what her daughter was going through. And as a side effect of that, her own skein gets, gets turned on, but, um, but it happens. And, and daughter, the daughter is able to awaken her mother's skein. And so from that point on, she should not be allowed to serve in public office anymore, but she's not going to, she's not going to step down. So she keeps it a secret. Um, and it's interesting. They show the testing, like the, the how they test for people having this, women, of course, having this power mm-hmm. uh, and how she evades it. But just the notion, I think that was one of the more brilliant of the many brilliant points in this book. But one of the more brilliant points that Oldman comes up with is how we would handle this in the contemporary world, because this is set in our world, yes. the idea that this develops today, right? How would we handle it? And it really is interesting. We would look at it as how do you cure it? How do you control it? What do you do with it? And then the testing, just the way they're testing, like we're testing for COVID, the testing process yeah. is was fascinating for me. Yeah, yeah. And the slight, um, the slight inference that because it's women carrying out the testing, um, that that when Margot is tested, she manages to evade identification, even though her mm-hmm. power has been woken up. Um, she doesn't get flagged as someone with the power. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it becomes like this, well, the test isn't really that accurate, but none of the women are saying anything about that. Right, right. None of the women are saying, you know what, this test doesn't actually identify anybody. You know, nobody's saying anything. They're going through the motions of testing women um, because the men are saying that's what has to happen. But, you know, the the subterfuge um, is very quickly becomes quite widespread. Yeah, that that aspect also of the book, the way these sort of patterns of women sort of bonding together in different ways or deciding that as groups or coming together to change things at the margins initially and then furthermore is also really interesting. And the way people respond to it, what keeps popping into my head as I think about it is the scene she uses of the news anchors, you know, talking about what's happening on the news and how they're responding to it. And and the, the also they sort of, QAnon boards that pop up, uh, for one yes. of a better term, these sort of Reddit chats where men are where men are, you know, complaining and and uh, aggrieved about what kind of power women has and what, of course, it means will happen to men now that women have this power. So right. those and little things at the margin are really those those yeah. touches give it a lot of depth. And of course, planning how they're going to stop it, how they're going to get women back under control. I mean, it's essentially men's rights activists being proven right and turning, yeah. in, and turning into underground organizations, you know? Well, I, I've are, told you how a person I know once said that to me, that the whole idea that you know, if you have a, if a, if we do a podcast about these sorts of things, that it will just make women want to go and imprison men everywhere. And I thought, what well, that's, you know, I, as you said, you know, the, the exhaustion the amount of time it would take anybody to pay attention to that, but that's the kind of fear that would be unleashed, right? Yes. And so the yeah. book really plays to that in a yeah. in a very interesting way too with Tunde as he gets sort of like caught in between 
the right. men's rights activists and there's this burgeoning female power that yeah. he has access to again now in a different way because he's a diaphanous you know young man he's so, the ingenue as it exactly. were exactly yeah, so yeah. They, they're happy to talk to him for you know different reasons than maybe he's expecting so Right. Um, but right. so Margot gets tested. She has the power. There's all these different things in there. And so it is it is a really that that particular angle moves on. We we haven't talked, I think. Uh, I was going to say, yeah. So so speaking of women gathering together, mm-hmm. um, we haven't touched at all on Allie's story. And I have to say that she was the one for me. Uh, reading the book that she was the one that I sort of most identified with. I was like, well, if I existed in this world, I would be Allie. Mm-hmm. I would, her journey would be the one that I would probably take. Um, so so Allie, no, yeah, again, it. we're starting with a classic like trope of an oppressed woman. She's a, she's an orphan, a foster child, she gets put in, you know, shuffled from foster to home to foster home. The last one that she's in before she runs away, uh, the father of the foster couple is sexually abusing her. And, um, and she, uh, she escapes and she winds up, uh, she winds up at a, um, at a Catholic home uh, for essentially for orphaned and wayward girls type of thing. So it's a, it's a, um, a nunnery and, um, it is full of something straight out of the thirties movies almost. Yeah. Yeah. So it's full of these, uh, or, or something straight out of, you know, like Irish history of, you know, all of these girls who got sent away to nunneries because they were illegitimate or because they wouldn't you know, behave properly, that kind of thing. Um, so it's a really well-known trope that she starts with. And, um, but it turns to Allie, for Allie, it turns out to be her, the key to her kingdom, her future, because it's a collection of adolescent girls um, who are coming into their power, literally coming into their power, and um, and she sees the ability to use religion as a way to legitimize this power. How and did also- you how did you take her? Because in the do you, do you did you think that she was you manipulating it to legitimize power, or she was reinterpreting the visions, you know, the voices she was hearing, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, she, so she hears a voice at, at some point she starts talking to whom she thinks is either her mother's spirit or God or whatever. And the voice that she talks to that talks back to her, um, you know, is never identified. We never know if it's all in her head, if she's actually speaking to the goddess we don't know because the goddess, the voice, never tells her. Um, she just says, yeah, sure, if you want to think that, that's that works. Um, but um, but I think I think she I think she sees this opportunity um, sort of like founding sort of like a Martin Luther, mm-hmm. right? Like saying the, the church is 
I don't want to throw away the idea of the church and, and spirit and all that sort of thing. But the format that it follows now is is outdated. It's not going to work anymore. So it's, she. It's interesting because I I saw her, and this probably comes just from the different religious experiences. Right. Her. Yeah. I, I really saw her as uh, as being like the voices of like a Joan of Arc kind of thing of hearing the voices and thinking, wait a minute, I now have a new revelation, and this is really this is one way the world really is. Suddenly, it is a world, you know. This isn't what was meant by the scripture. This isn't what was meant by that particular work. It's really this. Look at the power we have. Look at what women yeah. are doing. So that's how I saw it. I thought she was yeah. she was really kind of, you know, she's moved. And yes, of course, like with any leader, she does, you know, massage the 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 visions a bit to suit her at times. But I yeah. think that primarily she is she's moved by the yeah the yeah I mean I think she she definitely is a true believer um, in many ways she she does believe that this voice that she's hearing is some sort of divine guidance um, but she her experiences in that um, in that. I don't know what, I can't remember what it was, whether it was specifically a Catholic home or whether it was a nunnery Mm -hmm. or what it was, an orphanage, but. I think it, I think it was an orphanage run by, certainly run by nuns, but I think it was. So we'll have to go back and check. Um, So we'll just call it an orphanage. Um, So her experiences there in that orphanage showed her the, like very, very similar to experiences that I've had in my life where I've been with a group of women you know, working towards a specific goal. In my case, it was usually a theater company, um, but um, but found that the power of a group of women working together towards a common goal was revelatory for my life and was, um, you know, a genuine, positive, hopeful, powerful experience. So she she finds her place because of this power and she you know roxy roxy's power turns out to be brute force that her skein is one of the powerful uh, the most powerful skeins that you know that we see in the book at at large that she has she can generate incredible amounts of act- electricity whereas ally who becomes eve mother eve her uh, approach to the skein was to fine tune her use of it. So she becomes a healer. She uses her electric power to heal ailments that, you know, that that kind of precision use of electric current had never been tried before in terms of healing ailments. So she, she begins this healing a ministry and it's through this healing ministry that she starts to get a following and she starts to reinterpret the scriptures and see women as the rightful inheritors of spiritual power and she, um, she does it not just with christianity which is fascinating she yeah. interprets all the major right. world religions as she says she she uh, encourages women to then see the feminine, the feminine power in all of their religions, and she she yes. goes through different religions by name. Yeah, and they exist. You know, I mean, we've 
had conversations with people on this podcast about those very same things, the Mm -hmm. feminine aspects of major religions that have been suppressed by the interpretations of the the male uh, um, structure of those religions. Um, So you're saying if somehow you developed an electrical power, things would be already set? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Well, Sean, I'm trying to make matriarchy great again. Yeah, that's what the whole thing is, right? You know, in many ways, Mother Eve, that's exactly her mission. You know, she she brings back the goddess. It is is an amazing, another amazing aspect of this this story is that 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 storyline of her really spreading this and how she starts to connect with all these other, like you say, like Roxy, like, and then we haven't mentioned her, but we're about to get to her, I'm sure, Tatiana, mm-hmm. who is a dictator uh, or becomes one, but we'll explain that in a second, but the, the way that she becomes a global kind of phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. So she, um, and and the, the, the sort of key to where the story goes um, is is summed up in a phrase that her voice, the voice tells her, which is, you can't get there from here, right? So she is envisioning this peaceful transfer of power, this peaceful transfer of focus from the, the masculine, aggressive, warlike uh, patriarchy in which we've, we live. She foresees this gentle, peaceful transition back to a goddess-centered matriarchy um, where gentleness and love and all of the matriarchal values, the mother values of nurturing and caretaking and egalitarianism, that's what she wants to work towards. And she sees this um, evolution of women gaining this, this power as the catalyst to bring us into this new world i happen to highlight that i happen to highlight that quote so do you oh yeah go for it the voice says you want the whole world turned upside down ali says yes the voice says i feel you but i don't know how to be any clearer about this you can't get there from here you'll have to start again we'll have to begin again with the whole thing and there we'll we'll explain a little bit about what that's alluding to. But that's that's the quote that, you know, obviously you were just talking about, Don. You you can't yeah. get there from there. That you have there's there a whole lot that has to be done. I think, by the way, we're coming up at a certain time. I as I as I suspected when we talked about this doing this episode, we might have to split this over too, but we'll find a good spot. But there Well, yeah, I mean we could so much yeah, I mean, there's so much we can talk about so about this much, book. Yeah. It is, yeah, it's it a, is just really amazing. a stunning book. It's a stunning book. Well, let's let's um, maybe flesh out the characters just so everybody knows, and then we'll see it where we are and kind of go from there because we, okay. we still have some. Yeah, I was thinking that why don't we why don't we sort of take this break now because uh, break it into two right here because okay, um, we're about to get into the how dark it all side. goes wrong. Exactly the dark, the dark side. side. Um, yeah. Or right, depending on your point of view. But depending on your both. point of view, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. All right, let's stop at this point, and we will talk more about the power. This is a really just—if there's a book for this podcast, 
there is one of you know many that we're hopefully going to discover but there, if there's a book for this podcast to really talk about and dive into it's the power i just think it's uh yeah really yeah it really is um you know again like i say i'm 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 reading a book about about a fantasy matriarchal world right now so there's plenty of books out there that talk about women in charge but this is the only book i've ever come across where she she really puts it into our civilization and really investigates like if something happened tomorrow what would that feel like and and i'm just stunned by this work and i am stunned that it hasn't gotten that like it hasn't been on the top of the new york times bestseller list for forever because it is like nothing i've nothing else i've ever read and certainly in the next podcast or thereafter we're going to talk about the fact that they're making it into a series and let's just say some concerns that we might have about how that series <laughs> would be would actually be done so on that note i want to thank the electric dawn the dawn of the power dawn sam alden thank you dawn thank you and thank you sean marlon newcomb <laughs> Chairs there. This has been the 34 Cersei Salon. Make matriarchy great again. We're talking about the power. This is just part one of our discussion. We'll be back for more. Thank you all for listening. Take care, everyone, and blessed be.